It never belonged to me. Somebody stole it. How can it be my inventory? I mean, you're right. And I think that's going to be contractual agreements. And at the point where you pick it up at your dock, again, to that point, am I logging into his system and doing a receiving transaction so that I could scan? I mean, again, that's what you end up with is people drop printers and even the 3PLs. How do we extend it? And the system's technology allows that. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Consigned inventory could be a great strategy for startups trying to get space in retailers' warehouses. It could also be a great strategy for distributors and retailers to carry an inventory of unfamiliar brands without committing too much capital. But consigned inventory complicates the business processes for all parties involved. So what are the best practices when it comes to incorporating consigned inventory as part of the business model? In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss consigned inventory best practices. We discussed the differences between consignment versus borrowing and how the inventory will be treated in each vendor's and customer's ERP systems. Finally, we discussed the issues related to international consignment along with several fun stories. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. And if you're joining for the first time, this is part of our digital transformations for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to digital transformation. And we always have an expert panel here. For today, we are going to be discussing about a very deep topic related to inventory. And it could be all over. It's called confined inventory. So we are going to have a lot of fun discussing that before we do that. We are going to start with everybody's intros. I am going to start with my intro. If you don't know me, I am Sam Gupta, principal at Elevate IQ. Elevate IQ is the independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm. On that note, I am going to move to Chris for his intro. Thanks, Sam. Chris Garadini. I'm the owner and CEO of Turnkey Technologies. A little over 28 years as Turnkey uh, implementing dynamic CRP. So consignment is a great topic. So looking forward to the conversation. Thanks so much for being here, Chris. Uh, Jeff, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Yeah, thanks, Sam. Hi, everybody. My name is Dave Chrysler, and I own an operations consulting business working with leaders in the manufacturing and distribution spaces, uh, helping them to create systems uh, that drive growth and operate with excellence. I come to you with more than 20 years in various operations leadership roles and excited to chat about consignment inventory today. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Dave. Sharon, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Thank you, Dave. My name is Sharon Custer. I'm inventory optimization consultant. I help e-commerce to increase their cash flow and profitability by optimizing their inventory. Love it. Thank you so much. And uh, if you are in the audience and joining for the first time, make sure you can come. We typically try to cover them during the show. And if you run out of time, we'll make sure that your 
answers. On that note, guys, we are probably going to have a smaller group, so feel free to chime in at any point of time. We'll have slightly interactive session. You guys can also ask me anytime questions if you like. But I'm actually going to start with Chris. And Chris, this is going to be just setting up these stage overall in terms of what consignment inventory needs. And, you know, I think the whole concept of consignment inventory has come a long way. Now, people are using similar concepts. They are probably rewording them. Obviously, there are some nuances to these business models. But when you talk about many different things, for example, even FBA Amazon business model, what is that? In my mind, that is still a very consigned inventory. But they are doing a little bit of, you know, sales fulfillment as well. So there are some layers. So do you want to set up the stage overall sure. in terms of what is the consigned inventory? Sure, sure. And I think, uh, thanks, Sam. And so really, you know, at a high level, a couple sides of it, right? Do I have somebody else's property or do they have mine? And exactly. how do I keep track of my stuff that they have? And how do I keep track of their stuff that I have? And so that's, is it that simple? Well, it is, but it's complicated. And uh, as you think about there's pros and cons. So I'm the guy selling it. The advantage for me, you give me your stuff for free. I don't have any, I don't have to put any capital out there to open up a shop and start selling. So, so I can realize margin without having a capital investment. Well, that's kind of cool. But for you, you're putting your stuff over here. Could be somewhere else. What if I don't sell it? You missed an opportunity. The other guy could have sold it. So there's a risk for the guy that's giving you the inventory. And then on the flip side, my stuff is where? I'm using an outsourced manufacturer. Yeah. He doesn't own the stuff. It's my stuff. So I'm procuring, I'm buying, I'm delivering there. He's making me stuff. It's all mine. He's just doing services. So a couple of models, if you think about the back and forth, and again, there's the retail and then there's the, the production side. I'm sure I'm missing something, but in the end, that's that's the basic premise of it. And you think about, well, how do we keep track of it? Like, wow, he sent me, let's go to the one, I'm the retailer. He sends me stuff to my system. Did I enter a PO? Yeah. Do I have it in my inventory? Yes. Did I receive it at a cost? It's not going into my AP system yet. Okay. So that's very interesting as you think about just typical business process where we receive inventory. It comes in as a cost because the cost is on the PO. We expect to have to pay for it. I don't have to pay for this stuff. But again, you, you wonder if does it fly in as an AP transaction that you just never pay? It doesn't work like that. And I think as you look at systems technologies that are built for consignment, a lot of the standard products don't. And people start saying, well, okay, I'll bring it in at zero cost. Okay, great. It's in zero cost. You're managing zero cost. You sell some. Well, the problem now is your sales transactions have 100% margin. So you can't, you, you kind of lose some visibility of customer analytics if you're bringing it at zero cost. You're like, okay, well, if you bring it in cost, your balance sheet's overstated. So your CPA is not going to like that either. And it was like, really? Okay, well, where do I put it? You know, are you keeping it off the books? Well, that's a problem too, because you can't sell it if it's off the book. So you're like, wow, what's the right answer? It's kind of, it's not funny, but I know Sam's entertained with my uh, my storytelling. But at the same time, the low risk for the retailer, again, he gets uh, potential for revenue without having a cost investment. The guy that's putting it out there, there's some risks there. The advantage for the guy that, that consigns it is he's getting visibility. He's getting product attraction. He could go big if he, hey, I'm an HBC. Oh, you'll put it out there? We'll give you a ton of inventory. If you sell it, I'll give you more. That's a that's a magical thing if it really happens and it goes viral, as they say. So there's really good advantages. But you know, there's other things that come into the complexities on that. It's who's managing it. How do I report what I use? Because that model is okay. Great, I got your stuff for free. I sold some. I'm going to send you a list. You're going to send me an invoice. Uh, the accounting is kind of clued you there as you look at how do we book it and get good margin analysis. So, but the who replenishes then? Am I keeping track of your stuff in my warehouse and tell you when to send me more free stuff? And so there's a cycle, stuff showing up, paying for stuff, or does the vendor manage it? 
you're using his system. Maybe there's, and, and then that brings up that technical question is how do I integrate this? So I'm not loading his vendor, his item list and all these transactions. So integration certainly is a great question. But again, settling up vendor managed inventory. We talked about outsourced manufacturing. So different models. Who manages is one aspect. How do you track it? How do you report it? How do you cost it? How do you not distort analytics you use to run the business on margin analysis like that? So, but again, um, that's a good starting point. I yeah, that's a very interesting point. And obviously there are a lot of different layers and we need to unpack a, a, a little bit, right? So you touch more on the customer standpoint, let's say, if I'm the customer, I am owning, let's say, vendor's inventory, then obviously I need to recognize that somewhere I cannot, because this is not owned by me, so I'm not going to have any sort of financial value of that. But then you also have challenge in the vendor system, because that, that could be the other way around, right? So in some cases, yes, the vendor consigned inventory is there, but sometimes the concept exists as because, in theory, probably, just because you know it's not really a consignment concept. Or maybe it could be a lack of understanding. So let's say, you know, how does the con configuration look like? Let's say if I'm looking at in the vendor system versus the customer system. Chris, do you want to, you know? Sure, sure. Man, that's a great example. It's like, how do you implement it? So you set up another warehouse. Oh, okay. So I got my warehouse costed. I got a consigned warehouse. Can I have multiple vendor consigned warehouses? Absolutely. So you manage these as sub-locations within your ERP architecture is one way you handle if I'm the If I'm the retailer and people are sending me a product, and likewise, when I ship my products to a vendor, you're a warehouse in my ERP. I yeah. issue the PO against the warehouse. I ship to the PO address. It's the vendor's. It's my stuff. He receives it. Do I give him an app so he can check it off and receive it into my system? I'm still three-way matching it. Yeah. If he's doing manufacturing production, sometimes I even simulate those bombs in my system because I'm consuming my components at his location. I'm creating finished goods. I'm managing the inventory at his location through my ERP system, but it's done with location and even replenishment settings by location. And again, the systems typically your master planning MRPs are going to tell you what to buy, what to purchase to locations, what to make of those locations. So as you get more controls and, and planning and management of purchasing, procurement, and, and production. In that context, right, that helps. On the retail side, right, you're hoping the vendor is helping you resupply and watching your trending so that you don't run out of his stuff. He certainly doesn't to run out of it. Invested in that process of managing. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. So, Dave, I am coming to you. And obviously, you have seen this more from the manufacturing perspective. Right now, That the, the transaction that you were talking about, we sort of touched the manufacturing, but not as much, I guess, right? Uh, yeah. But then number one, the manufacturing is going to be significantly com complex. That's number one. Number two is going to be there are going to be other layers. OK, so inventory is just one case. Sometimes the problems could be and I think Chris uh, talks about this issue in a lot of different sessions, which is going to be, let's say, if I'm sending you a pallet and I want that pallet to be returned to my, my shop. OK, <laughs> so then that's going to be a transaction again. OK, how do you track? How do you sort of return? So there are a lot of different layers overall, I guess. You know, when we think of the consigned inventory. So, Dave, go ahead and, and share your comments. And yeah, yeah, Chris, uh, Chris did an amazing job, kind of unpacking all the different aspects of it. In in you know to to layer into what you were just saying there, Sam. I mean, from just the straight up process standpoint, you know, we talk about this kind of on on several of these panels, but you know, it it really hits home when you have that complexity of the consigned inventory. Uh, because to your point, you know, if you have other other intricacies, whether that's returned items, items that cycle back and forth uh, is another issue with that to have a good understanding of the processes. And then, you know, Chris touched on it, but where those processes ultimately live and then who is responsible 
for the communication and to execute those processes. So the things that I've seen uh, get really twisted up in there are, you know, just the uh, inventory and replenishment cycle from all of the uh, different transactions that get created. And and again, kind of coming in after the fact and, and, and executing those processes versus having the pre-planned scenario where you've actually laid out what's going to happen, kind of back to what Chris said, you know, where does that information live? Who's ultimately responsible for it? Uh, does it stay on the customer side? Does it stay on the vendor side? How is the communication happening between those two things? Does a is it an app? Is it a scan gun? Uh, you know those types of things that happen on the customer side that then transfer that information. Does somebody physically have to come to another location to do? Uh, inventory reconciliations and, and those types of things. I mean, uh, those are all of the challenges that I've kind of seen firsthand with consignment inventory. Uh, on the other side of that, you know, and Chris, you, you touched on this as well, but there are some really great advantages to the consigned inventory, um, even beyond kind of the uh, w- what what is is to me kind of the obvious. And that is the fact that when you've got that material, let's say, so in, in the example that I would use in the manufacturing uh, space, you know, we would warehouse a significant amount of raw material that, uh, you know, we weren't paying for, but that was available for us to sell. So what what did that allow us to do? Quick turnarounds, larger projects that maybe we didn't have to wait the, the lead time that a competitor did because we had material on the floor. We could do partial shipments. We could do uh, it, it gave us flexibility, not just from the cash flow perspective, uh, but, you know, to actually service customers. Uh, and so, again, just another way to kind of look at it. That was in a, a B2B scenario. Um, but, you know, the same would still apply from, you know, like an Amazon standpoint or, you know, those types of things. I mean, that's the advantage, right? You can get things to people when they need it because you've got them there ready to go and then the transactions get created then the cash changes hands then the margin you know is captured so i'll, I'll pause right there uh, uh, unless you have any follow-up yeah i do a little bit <clears throat> follow-up and by the way i the word that you have used in your description is the twist and that's probably the right articulation of, of the whole process because it could be all over the place overall in terms of uh, the process but oh i want to touch on this comment from Richard uh, Hulter, and by the way, follow Richard. So the first name is R-I-C-H-A-R-D, and the last name is H-O-U-L-T-O-N. Question that he is asking is, there is no such thing as a free lunch, though, uh, and you'll pay for this in added transactional costs, and uh, no supplier takes on these arrangements. For free, you need to make sure that these added costs don't overweigh the carrying cost of inventory. So I think Richard is talking more from the warehouse perspective. And I think there is another layer in this conversation that is going to be more of the PPL. Uh, when you have the international transactions involved, the cost could be far higher. So I believe Sharon is probably going to talk about that because she talks a lot about PPL and the whole inventory movement. But, uh, you know, Dave, do you have any follow-up commentary here on this one? Yeah, maybe not quite specific to that, but but in the experiences that I've had with consigned inventory, it was actually an advantage on the supplier side as well, uh, because it so so kind of to combat or or give another perspective on the no free lunch, uh, it actually locked uh, our company in and and kind of strengthened the relationship that we had with that particular vendor, which ultimately became a single source. So 
um, you know, their kind of willingness to step up to the plate and to put consigned inventory items on uh, the shop floor of several locations strengthened, you know, our overall uh, partnership and uh, therefore awarded them kind of single source, uh, you know, vendor status uh, for a significant, significant volume of raw material. So I would say that, you know, I kind of understand and, and don't necessarily disagree, but I think that every relationship, every kind of situation is different. And uh, for some suppliers, uh, there could be some very strategic advantages to putting that capital up and, and consigning inventory out to, to several locations. Yeah, could not agree more. And I am going to provide a quick story and then I'm, I'm going to move to Sharon uh, related to the whole comment that you mentioned, Dave, that this particular model could be significantly beneficial to businesses if they understand how to exploit this, okay? So the story is, you know, I'm looking at a business, roughly $20 million, and I'm like, okay, so what's here? Uh, and I'm looking at their org structure, and they have like, what, 15, 20 people in total? And I'm like, how is this business running? There's no way in the hell. You can do, you know? And by the way, I mean, see, this is not that they are doing a project probably that maybe $20 million, and then probably you don't need as many people. You know, you probably have a lottery ticket here that nobody knows, and somehow you are winning here, right? So then I'm trying to analyze, okay, what the hell is happening in the business? Uh, how are they getting the revenue? And by the way, the kind of products that they are selling, they are very commoditized products, meaning uh, it's going to be like $50 cost, something like that, right? So then you need a lot of people in your warehouse too, because you are going to have tons and tons of transactions, okay? Then I am doing a little analysis in the business. Okay, what the hell is going on? And then finally, I realized that, you know what? A $10 million business was coming from Amazon. And the reason why they are able to run this business, and people complain all the time about Amazon, how bad Amazon is, because they are going to take 30% to 40% margin, okay? And, and obviously, that's really bad to be honest, okay? Everybody wants to go for DTC, but here's the deal, okay? When you are going to go for DTC, you have to fulfill. You have to hire people in your warehouse, and that is expensive, okay? So now you can imagine how this business is running. So in my mind, when you look at the consigned inventory, sure, there are going to be costs, and you know there is a business model around it, but if you can figure out, it's a lottery ticket in my mind, and you can grow very fast. So thank you so much for that. Sharon, over to you. Overall, from the international transaction perspective and the cost of inventory, whatever you might have to share. Sharon, over to you. I, thank you, Sam. Um, I want to mention doing consignment is a risk um, in a way that that you have to take the risk of loss of inventory or lost count, incor or incorrect count, and you have to put the consideration that if you, if you go out of business, how do you retrieve your inventory to liquidate them if you want to? Or if your uh, customer or client out of business, what are you going to do with your inventory? That's something that you have to iron out before. you. The second thing that I want to add is that do not rely on one system. You have to have your own report um, to match with your customer report to make sure that all the inventory is counted. Um, don't rely on just them to to say that, okay, you have 100 units in my warehouse because you never know if it's correct. Second thing, besides the risk, I want to talk about the cost. The cost is that you have to have additional way to manage your inventory 
with its consignment and also the manpower to do it. For example, if you are selling your product to supermarket, in in a way it is consignment that they return your item maybe three months later when your items are not sold. So that is constantly moving with new purchase order and then return. And you most of the uh, direct-to-consumer product, they have many variations. So when you come to manage your inventory in that sense, it's really complicated. You don't know which lot number that you send out when it's returned. It's really just kind of like a puzzle and <laughs> just holding the shovel around. So barcode may help or you have your own way of like figuring out with you how to count your accurately in the system and physical um count so by the way some amazing insights there and i love the way you think your first example about thinking about the inventory whether your customer is going to go bankrupt or you are go bankrupt i don't know if anybody really thinks about to be honest okay (laughs) you gotta be positive okay But when it comes to reconciliation as well as inventory, you definitely, definitely have to. Think. Um, and that is such a great point. By the way, let me see. Right now, we are sort of debating who sort of accounts for that. Okay, whose books are going to really have that inventory? If you have that visibility, you don't even know your own inventory. How are you going to track that is sitting in somebody else's warehouse? So great point. The second thing I uh, I think you trust is the return, which is fascinating point in my mind because. Uh, you know, around return, there are going to be a lot of different complications that I have personally. Okay. Number one is going to be sometimes what happens is when you are asking, let's say your customers to return, you might be maintaining the inventory, but return needs to go to your supplier's warehouse. Okay. <laughs> because return is different because that may need to be manufactured or repaired or whatever. And then, you know, so the label that is going to go for the return is going to be very different. So there are a lot of different complications around that. And return also throws off your reconciliation, okay? Then you are going to be reconciling your inventory. Your accounts are never going to match because, you know, you are going to have return, you are going to have waste. So you have a lot of problems there. Lot number, big deal, (laughs) okay? You have no idea how complicated it could get when you are going to have lot number. And honestly speaking, I don't know if you guys have any sort of experience around that. When you are going to be the, going to have the inter-system um, sort of the the interaction between your lot numbers, it's very, very, very hard to transfer the lot number in the other ERP system because the only thing they are maintaining is the vendor cross app. Okay, so the only thing you have is really the queue. They don't maintain it at the lot number level. There are some systems where I've seen that they can probably do the cross-reference based on the lot number, but that's very rare in my... So, Sharon, over to you. Do you have any follow-up comments there based on my commentary? Um. For the lot number, there are systems that allow you to track your expiration date or lot number for the food. But the problem is not the system. The problem is if the vendor or, or the manufacturer willing to implement it. It is very complicated, uh, especially when your business is private labeling that you have OEM, another company produced the product for you. They have their own system. Yeah. And when the item comes to you, you you ship it to distributor to the supermarket. Uh, the 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 problem comes is if, if your manufacturer or your OEM is willing to implement the system, 
And you got to remember that the OEM is not just producing your item. They produce many people's items. So they may not want to use your system. So it's sometimes you just kind of like, how, how, how do you do it? You know, how, how much do you want to compromise? That's, that comes with cost, you know, because say if, if the supermarket return you a thousand items and one third of that is expired and you don't even know, you have to go out to have a person to look through it one by one to make sure that some of them resell, you know. So that's, that's what I'm trying to say is that there's some difficulty there. And the second thing is that you have to count that cost into your operational costs. Don't ignore it. They can be very expensive. Okay, could not agree more. Thank you so much, um, Sharon, for those insights. So, Chris, I am coming over to you. I'm pretty sure you are going to have a lot more layers there overall from the lot number perspective because, you know, when you are talking about integrating the systems, okay, integration could be tricky because the way your receipt process is going to work in the other system, it's a much harder lift because a lot of systems, and again, you're implementing sort of the manual process even in the manual process, you are probably going to lose the visibility. It's already very hard to maintain that traceability inside your four walls of your facility or the warehouse. Now you are talking about integrating with the other system. So over to you, Chris, any follow-up comments? Sure, sure. and it really it really goes back to did we do a good assessment before we got into this endeavor and say, really? Because as you do, you are you really raise, and Sharon, you did as well, costs. It's like, how yeah. do we... How do we track the cost? You're like, oh, the inventory is free. It's free. <laughs> oh, it's not free. And you think about, we're talking about systems integration. Well, that's that's an expenditure. And then you even think about setting up the systems. Yeah. And hey, can I, how do I get to, I got to get your inventory in here? Oh, I got to do marketing. Oh, I got to do this. Or I got to give it floor space. And I got to have guys that pick it. And this and this and this. And, and it's very interesting as we, we raise this where, is it a good idea or a bad idea? And it looks so good because I get a free item. And when I sell it, I make margin, but we, we really don't account well. And I think that's the true word and why, you know, I started selling accounting software back in the, the beginning. People say that, but, but it is, it's the, it's the accuracy and really assessing the opportunity and, and how do you cost? And I even wrote down here, landed cost. And then, but your point about lots is warranty and okay. And you go back to the vendor yeah. and as we're transacting here and, and there, and there's no easy way to do it. You've got to have their products in yours. You got to have them in there. So they show up on your website. Again, you're pricing them. You're doing all that stuff. And, and even, are you saying a $0 PO to replenish? So you really do have all this stuff in your, um, you don't get away from that. The, the How you cost them, how you manage them. We, nobody mentioned insurance yet. Yeah. My building burned to the ground. How much of that stuff was mine or yours? I don't know. Or maybe I have lots <laughs> of consigned vendors. It's not funny because my system isn't going to give you a cost report and I'm not submitting it to my my insurance guy either. So there's a whole other complexity. But we, we were talking about lots and cereals and and I think by industry, there's going to be easier products to, to consign and to retail out. And certainly the outsource manufacturing is completely differently. But even in that context, do you have them working in your system? And, and, the, and the feasibility of doing the, the, the degree of implementation or integration you need to to get that granularity, meaning do I have the guys over there in my outsource manufacturing recording finished good production and, and component issues if it's a serialized world? And again, by industry, by product line, we're going to have a different requirement for a consigned vendor, frankly. And I think that's it. There's going to be the simplest context. It's real easy stuff. You click, click, click. Okay, I'm done. Versus there's a lot more data collection. And, and again, in the native system, meaning I'm extending my ERP out there. It's just like the vendor managed inventory. All they're doing is extending their window to you because it's much easier to you to work in their system than for them to integrate your systems. And we go back to that, that cost. And if you really take the cost and you analyze, well, how long does it take me to recover that? 
that's where people don't do their math very good. I think Sharon would say that, hey, we're way in it. We're up to our ears, and how do we get out now? Because we're figuring out as it catches up that you're losing money on the deal. Great points. So um, again, a lot of a lot of comments there. But again, the front end. How do you how do you track this stuff so that you can see the visibility of the cost? And how do you track those costs? Because they're not related to the product. They're showing up everywhere, indirect, right? Indirect. Yeah, could not agree more. And some great commentary. And by the way, since you guys are bringing all these commentary about the insurance and the cost, what is going to be the cost of following up with different companies? Uh, because it's not going to be just the fact that, you know what, who had, uh, you know, that in the building? Once you get into the complexity of your in-code terms, okay, each of the term is going to mean something. And that's when you sort of, you know, cross the boundary of your ERP system because they are going to ask, okay, where was the product? I mean, was it sitting on a dock? Was it in the warehouse? Was it in the world? Nobody knows because we don't have that traceability. So I don't know how do you handle that because, you know, and then, you know, obviously your contracts are going to be super critical as well. So Chris, any other follow-up comments? There? Yeah, you're, you're going back to traceability because number one, the PO's initiated and the vendor system to ship to me. Okay, he knows where it's at. Yeah. You know, we go back to when do I take ownership of it? Well, I didn't think I did, right? It never belonged to me. Somebody stole it. How can it be my inventory? I mean, you're right. And and that's and I think that's going to be contractual agreements. And, you know, yeah. at the point where you pick it up at your dock, again, to that point, am I logging into his system and doing a receiving transaction so that I could scan? I mean, again, that's what you end up with is people drop printers and even the three PLs, right? Yeah. How do we extend it? And the systems technology allows that. But again, we're doing data collection and there's so that they're getting that visibility. And that's, and again, I think that's contractual. Where do you take ownership? Even in a consigned inventory, it's in my building. I have to have some responsibility for that property. How do you track it? How do you trace it? Other than just units, where's the cost basis if, if there is a situation? But, uh, but again, that's where these, the cost of being in the business, not the cost of the product, right? It's free. I make margin when I sell it. I don't have to pay anything until then. Yes, you do. We're paying all these other costs we're doing correctly. Amazing. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. So, Dave, I'm going to offer some commentary here based on whatever Chris mentioned, and then probably you can offer some commentary. I'm also yeah. going to read uh, Sneha's comment as well. So, obviously, when you look at all this 3PL, right? 3PL, there could be a lot of different legs, movements, and these guys are like, I'm making $5. I had no idea what was there in the box. Don't call me. Okay. <laughs> if it was worth $100,000, that's not my problem. That's your problem. Okay. So, figure it out. <laughs> So it could get really, really, really interesting when you get into the whole supply chain space. Um, so Sneha is actually raising a very good point here. By the way, follow Sneha Kamari. Uh, she was supposed to be on this panel. Today she's not there. Uh, but her name is Sneha, S-N-E-H-A-K-U-M-A-R-I is the last name. And the comment that she's making is, I think contracts are critical here. Inventory management, especially, I would say, cycle count programs can be worked out when you can have your offshore vendor also help with counts. Nobody helps, okay? They only help themselves. You can't <laughs> trust their counts, okay? Also incorporate portions of consignment inventory become part of the company's cycle count process too. I have done it in the past and it did work out. Okay, so Sneha trusts her vendors, uh, but that's not how the world works, I guess. <laughs> Dave, go ahead, offer your commentary. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I do agree with Sneha that, uh, you know, when you do have that relationship built out, that, that it can be, uh, you know, it can work out. Uh, but there still needs to be oversight with it because back to, uh, you know, what Chris and Sharon are saying and, and, and you as well, Sam, I mean, um, without 
having that traceability without having those contracts in place to, to understand when uh, the uh, transfer of ownership actually occurs, when those transactions get written uh, to both systems, and then what the reconciliation is between those two uh, kind of, you know, major events happening and those two uh, processes. So uh, that, that would be my comment back on, you know, on what uh, Sneha had said. Um, I didn't have any direct experience on the kind of lot serialization tracking. What uh, what we were uh, consuming was uh, some pretty simplified raw material, uh, so we didn't have that layer of complexity to to add into our scenario. But again, kind of the the common challenges were back to not so much when did uh, when did the uh, consignment inventory um, exchange hands. It was more around the reconciliation piece, how the how that communication was flowing. And it was a situation where the systems were not integrated, were not talking to each other, and it was very manual uh, process at the time. Uh, so again, like we talk about with many of these things, uh, you know, kind of coming in after the fact and trying to figure out, you know, a better process for what was happening to increase that communication and visibility uh, is is kind of paramount, regardless of the amount of complexity that ultimately gets added in. Because, you know, Chris, I think you were the one that made the comment, you know, there are some scenarios where this is fairly simple and straightforward that you can, you know, map out and uh, not have uh, a lot of the uh, the process related issues in terms of when those transactions hit uh, each each one of those. So some great commentary there. And Dave, I'm probably going to go back to your previous commentary to touch on one of the follow up questions that I had there. So I think you and Chris, both of you have touched a little bit, you know, when you are going to be, let's say, the customer, okay, and you are keeping somebody else's inventory. Obviously, you don't own that. You cannot keep this in your books. So how is that going to be recognized? So in your previous commentary, you mentioned that I had raw material that were vendor owned. So obviously you don't have them in your system, but you still have to sort of scan them. You still have to cut the sales order on top of those because you are trying to sell as for your comment, right? So how is system recognizing somebody else's inventory? Are you recognizing at $0 value or what are you doing there? Yeah, in in those scenarios, basically the it was being recognized recognized as a zero value until it was scanned basically out of their system into our system. So when that scan, when that transaction took place, and the um, you know we accepted um, you know responsibility or or purchase of that product, uh, that transaction on their side, on the supplier side, would then generate the uh, invoice and receiver so we could so we could um, generate the uh, receiver and match on our side and receive it into inventory at a cost. Yeah, so very interesting commentary there. So Sharon, I'm coming to you. Uh, any sort of you know comments over comments, any any stories uh, that you might be able to share? I would like to share, um, it, it can actually both ways. It depends the situation, either the retail, the retailer taking the inventory as a consignment and storing retailer's warehouse, or the retailer's borrowing the supplier's warehouse to store uh, their product that they purchase. Of course, it's not consignment, but I'm just talking about utilize the warehouse space in general. So. Um, now I'm just sticking with the the retail allow the supplier putting their stuff in their warehouse as a consignment example. Retailer may think, okay, it's consignment. 
the product's free. I don't put out any uh, cost to pay for the inventory. So just let's just keep it. But remember that the warehouse space costs something. The floor space costs something. That's not just money that you spend on store the product, but also the opportunity cost. Think about it. If you have that warehouse space or the floor space, you could sell something else if that makes money. I mean, like if there's something sitting in your warehouse or sit at your floor for, I don't know, over a year, does that really help you to make sales? Does that really help your business? Why do you want that consignment? Yeah, could not agree more. And I think uh, the layer that you are touching on overall from the floor utilization perspective, I guess that's the reason why if you look at the Amazon FBA model, they have the penalties, okay? So in case of FBA model, I get it that, okay, you want to sell your inventory yourself. I am simply keeping it for you. I'm going to fulfill it for you. Uh, But you are telling me how much you are going to be able to sell, okay? So you have to bear the cost if you are not able to sell. So that's why Amazon has three different models. Number one is going to be your FPM, in which, you know, they don't really own any sort of inventory. Uh, And then you have FBA. In that case, they are keeping your inventory, but you are responsible for it. And if you, you overestimate your capabilities to be able to sell, then obviously you have to suffer a lot. And the, th- the third thing is going to be really your vendor central in which they are owning the, the process. It's almost like private level. Uh, Jake, do you have any comment? I was just curious, Sam, because I wasn't familiar with that uh, penalty structure with Amazon. Do you have any insight to to kind of add into that? I mean, it's pretty. I, it makes complete sense, you know, and back to Sharon's comment, consignment inventory only makes sense if it's helping, you know, helping you you uh, sell more or <laughs> make it more accessible. So I'm just curious on that penalty component. I hadn't, uh, I hadn't been familiar with. Yeah. So Amazon is like a constitution. Okay. And it always is changing. Okay. So they, they keep <laughs> Based on the way they are learning how sellers are selling, they are always changing these rules. Okay, so you are going to have penalty pretty much for everything. If you oversend, uh, if you are not able to, let's say, let's say if you are in the FPM model, I'm booking your order and I expect you to fulfill. I don't care how you are going to fulfill, and I expect you to fulfill within 48 hours. Now it's your job to fulfill. If you're not able to fulfill, and if you are, let's say, if you are going over 2% or whatever, then they are going to penalize you. So they have the penalty structure pretty much for everything. That's how their business is working. Otherwise, in the vendor customer situation, good luck in running that business, to be honest. It never works. And that's why I'm saying you you can never trust your vendors. You have to have a system and the processes to be able to track, to hold people accountable. Otherwise, it could get really tricky. Yeah, I mean, that'd be really interesting to see any of the really large, you know, businesses that are in that space, how they're managing, how they're managing that process internally and what systems they're utilizing to be able to do that. Because, you know, everybody on this panel knows what what is involved in in, you know, having a system that's, uh, uh, you know, not only able to uh, create the transactions, but then somebody that, uh, you know, understands what all the reporting is telling you. So that's really interesting. I, I didn't realize that was a that was how they executed that. So. Thank Great you, topic. Aaron. Analytics. Analytics are driving yeah. it. And I think even as you look at how good is your data to really expose the cost or expose the lack of movement or into your point about chargebacks, I mean, it's a, it's a profit center for those companies. I exactly. Think they would be embarrassed to disclose, but they manage that just like a revenue center. I think yeah. they monetize a lot of the mistakes people made. And, and I think they add complexity to make it challenging to that point. And if you don't have great automation and integration, right, again, 
you're compromised from nonsense. What size retailer would that would that end up being though, Chris? Because I mean, I guess that kind of proves my point in terms of thinking that uh, you know a business that would fit that model wouldn't have enough scale to invest in the infrastructure, the system infrastructure to do that. I mean, is that a is, is that a ten million dollar business? Is that a fifty million dollar business? I see ten fifty, but you know, there's actually modules they've made for chargeback processing to yeah. deal with all the yeah complexities of the deficit credits as they continue to manipulate your account because you can't reconcile your back office system. And again, it's almost like for the big guys, you got to be bolted to them for EDI or you can't handle the transaction volume, frankly, from the ins and the outs and all the charges and everything. So, but you just have to be prepared again and understand the rules and make sure that you're managing the compliance because the yellow road, your margins, it's just like we talked about the, the cost of infrastructure and setup and personnel that people don't track and manage correctly. The charges can completely compromise your margins as well. So again, small business, you're, you could be a greater risk. If you've got some good volume, okay, you got a little bit to work with, but still, if you're not really analyzing it, you can't really tell how much are you losing? 3%. You're like, oh, it doesn't sound bad. It could be a lot of money. So 3% a lot. That's a make or break for some companies. They're like, that's a, I only make four. Yeah. So anyway. And by the way, I guess nobody has really spoken about the other side of the equation. Okay. The other side of the equation is going to be CPL model. Okay. And CPL model has the equal number of charges. So if you are sort of sitting in between, then you can be penalized by both. Okay. And you might want to think that this is of the revenue structure, to be honest. But if you are running a serious business, you have to have, this. you have to hold people accountable because the kind of systems these guys have, to be honest, it's really hard for them in general. And that's the reason why I'm not sure whether you guys followed the whole um, Amazon aggregator space, right? Uh, there was a lot of momentum overall in that because, you know, obviously Amazon businesses were growing. But if you talk to any serious investor or the seasoned investor, they do not trust businesses that are simply, let's say if they are 50 to 70 percent revenue is going to be based on Amazon. Uh, you know, they don't trust these businesses because their businesses can be killed over, uh, you know, because of Amazon. And that's why you have consultants uh, who are literally fighting. They are lawyers, to be honest. Uh, okay, they are fighting <laughs> uh, with Amazon. It, it could get really hard. So it's a, it's a, it's, it's a world out there. Um, Dave, Sharon, any other follow-up comments, guys? No, okay. I mean, that on that uh, uh, Amazon aggregator uh, point, I, I did follow a bit of that. And it is interesting what people are doing, but, you know, it's, it's, it's not dissimilar to, um, you know, their kind of last mile delivery uh, model either. And so there's, a, you know, all of that's contractor based and, you know, it, it, it's to have a super interesting, <laughs> super interesting <laughs> overall model. <laughs> just, just wanted to make that quick, quick, quick comment. Exactly. Sharon, any comments? Um, I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't want to discourage people, but really, uh, when you get for the new, new, new yeah. sellers, um, when you go into the business, think about how heavy the stuff is. Think about the packaging, how complex the packaging have to be. Uh, licensing, especially food, um, it's a lot of regulation going on with, you know, food and stuff like that, uh, just have to consider those kind of factors that it will, you know, those costs will add up to eat your profit when it's not cost of goods, if that makes sense. Like, it's not really the cost of manufacturing, um, especially shipping. I, I, I noticed the shipping is quite expensive. So choose wisely what you want to sell. <laughs> so think about reselling intangible consignment inventory. You're like, huh? <laughs> what the hell is that? You're like, okay. No, but it sounds so simple. It's like, great. 
I don't have to. T- so again, I'm going to sell somebody else's managed service plans. Great idea. Come on in. You can go sell those and I'll pay you 20%. Oh, sounds like a great deal. There's no inventory. I don't have to bring any boxes in the back door. Does that mean it's even a lesser cost than when there's physical product moving around? It's not. Because yeah. again, read the agreements and look at the expectations. And I think as you go back to a business plan is just in that scenario, I'm laughing. I'm like, oh, sounds so easy. <laughs> great. We're going to sell your stuff. But again, marketing, sales awareness, and there's all these soft costs that you don't understand. And I'm laughing because it, it sounds like such an easy thing, but I still have to figure out how do I transact it? How do I report it? What are my real margins? Do I really realize 20%? Probably not. If you cost it right. You know, there's people that you ever heard the one we lose a dollar on everyone, but we do volume. <laughs> you can always work. make it up in volume, right? It's Chris? funny, isn't it? We lose a buck <laughs> on every deal, but we do volume. They're like, that math doesn't work. And I think that's it. It's the math. And I think we've all talked about costing and indirect costing is a big peeve of mine. People don't, they just don't track it. They can't track it. And I think that's an interesting one as you think about, well, how would I track the cost of doing a consignment project with a vendor? You almost need a project accounting subledger, frankly. And you're like, really? Yeah, because if you had your people clock timesheets and you really started tracking all of this development and then, oh, I got marketing, clock it all. And yeah. again, I think that that's, and all we're talking about is just do your do your math right. It's funny that we're all the same. Chris, Sounds great. Content. Sounds so easy. <laughs> you know, we didn't talk about borrowing. Is borrowing the exactly. same as consignment? So now that the cannabis industry is blooming, as they would say, you know, Missouri passed that here. So everybody's really excited. They're like, we're going to all be rich. So they're all getting imagined being rich. But, you know, you imagine consigned inventory in that space we're talking about. So I'm actually going to touch on two layers. OK, so I think you are bringing a very good point. So number one, I think we did not talk about the whole Marshall issue. Um, and we were talking about trust, you know, and trust could be like phone call away, I guess. Um, you know, so let's let's talk about moisture issue. So let's say if I send you the inventory class, we all trust each other, right? And I'm going to tell you that this is probably, I don't know, 100 pounds or whatever. I'm sending it to you. It was only and 75. By the time you receive it, 75. 75. Chris, you trust me, okay? I'm doing business with you like I for scanned last it. I scanned it. It's just not there. <laughs> From the truck to the dock, something happened. I don't know. Go ahead. Sorry, Sam. Go ahead. Exactly. Exactly. So obviously, that is going to be number one issue that we have not discussed so far. So I don't know what you have seen, whether it is going to be trust. Is it going to be trend? Is it going to be industry standards that you typically use to be able to trust your vendors? Then obviously one of the things that we have not spoken about it going to be the allocation, which is your favorite topic. And I don't know how the allocation is going to layer in when you are talking about this whole consignment issue, because obviously you have to plan in both the systems, vendor as well as the customer. So Chris, allocation as sure. well as the moisture. Sure. And, I, and allocation is an easy one. And you heard me earlier say that you need to have this data in your system. I've got to have your SKUs set up. I've got my attributes, my dimensions. I've got attributes that tell me that it's not my inventory. and Maybe it's stocked at a different warehouse. However we, however, we track it internally. But we've got to own it. We've got to be able to manage it. And again, I don't even the vendor requirements, redundancy is what will happen. Again, we keep talking about costs. We're going to have two systems. If they're not integrated, yes, I am working and I'm creating extra reports to do this and that. And I'm doing some extra transactions. The trust thing, yeah, you go back to, okay, how am I inter- interacting with this vendor? And there's going to be the people that are primitive. Guy shows up with a truck, piece of paper. Okay, it's it's a little bit primitive. And then what's going to happen? Then there's a guy we talked about earlier where, hey, man, I'm receiving inventory into his system. And I'm scanning. And I'm scanning 2D barcodes and stuff. And there's less human operation in there. I mean, there's always risk depending on the nature of the products. Um, but again, I think that as you build your contractual relationship, there has to be trust. There's, there's always that little component, but 
how do we support that with empirical evidence? And again, I think that if I'm going to set up a relationship with a consignment, you better have good systems. I'm the guy that's going to say, show me your ERP. QuickBooks? Ah, we're out of here. You can't track this stuff. And no, I mean, it, it's, it's sincerely, trust is conveyed based on inspection of your systems and your business processes and, and how consistently, how many years in business, you're going to have to give me some financial statements. I mean, there's there's going to be a due diligence when a, when a consigner consignee relationship is created, in my opinion, especially if you're moving high dollar products. If it's trinkets and trash, right? A little different world. But I still think that the trust relationship with empirical evidence and, and inspection and due diligence is going to help you get to that point. But there certainly is there compliance, is there periodic site physical inventories? Again, how am I substantiating to you that I'm running the business professionally, accurately, so that you can have confidence? And again, if we're in the millions of dollars moving around, it's a, it's a whole different relationship. And I think as you look at that scale, we're moving up in terms of capability and sophistication in our systems. And we're not touching data by hand. We're not exporting. We're not importing. We've put mechanisms in place because this is part of the business plan is to grow based on using consigned inventory, right? You're either in it or you're not. And you know that go big or go home. You got to do enough. There's got to be enough of a, you know, a commitment to be successful. You can't. So that's where you, I'm going to tell you just to be careful. Amazing. And thank you. Thank you so much, Chris. So uh, Dave, obviously comments over comments and some of the layers that we have not touched so far. I don't think we have layered in the, the drop shipping. And I don't know if you have seen any sort of challenges with the dropshipping model as well as the consigned inventory. There is some correlation. So any insights you might have there, what else do I have that I have covered? Vendor managed inventory, I think we touched a little bit, I guess. If you have any sort of insights there, go ahead, Dave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No comments on the dropshipping part, unless you have a specific question around that. Um, but, you know, I, I, I guess kind of to tack on again to what Chris was saying, uh, a little bit of the the walk before you run, you know, typically these relationships are are going to be pre-existing relationships uh, that, you know, have built up over time that there is a, you know, a real business use case uh, you know, on both sides, on, on the vendor supplier side and on, uh, you know, the, um, uh, uh, the side of things. So, you know, that's, that's definitely something to, um, to consider with any of these. The other thing that, that kind of goes back to, you know, that, that whole trust factor and, and beyond the process of it, you know, um, one thing, one other thing that we didn't really talk about, but but happens from time to time is, you know, defects, nonconformances. How, how do you handle that process when consigned inventory arrives that is, you know, not part of the consigned inventory? Right. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> that happens. <laughs> so, you know, tell, tell make, us more. How, how does that work? <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody sits in the shipping dock and scratches their head for a while. Usually a couple of phone calls here and there happen, um, you know, but it depends on when uh, again, like what are, you know, your receiving process? How, how are those uh, orders and expected consigned inventories coming into your location so that you understand what's supposed to be received, how much of it's supposed to be received, and what's the detail behind all of that. And then again, you know, what do you do in the scenario that something uh, comes to you that is not part of the consigned inventory? Depending, uh, again, I'll give you the scenario that, that uh, you know, I've experienced before. We were receiving, you know, truckloads of, uh, you know, raw material paper. Uh, so 700 pound rolls of paper, you get a truckload of that. That's consigned inventory. That's not really consigned inventory. What do you do with the truckload of paper? You know, we're talking about shop floor space and, and those types of things. So, you know, back to, you know, what are your processes? What is that relationship like with your vendor? 
Um, and you know, how do you deal with those types of things? Again, that's why I go back to Chris. I think what you said was, was really smart in terms of, you know, these relationships develop over time. And with that business use case, there, there has to be some beyond kind of the mechanics of, of that relationship. There has to be some, uh, you know, trust and visibility because defects, non-conformances, those types of things do happen uh, from time to time. Yeah, so very interesting. And that reminds me of a story, you know, from my experience, and this is coming from a meat industry, okay? And in the meat industry, they are very traditional in general, the way they do, okay? It's the traditional days, okay? I'm, I'm buying from a vendor. I don't like it because smelly or whatever, and I'm not going to accept it, okay? <laughs> this guy has shipped. The shipment from a very far, obviously, somebody is bearing that cost. No, 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 no. I just don't like it. Okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, okay, what's happening here? Uh, there is no sort of contract. There is no sort of expectations. And the industry is running fast. And I have no idea how that works. So it could be very interesting overall in some industries when they don't have the formalized contract process uh, and the obligation. And sometimes it's just goodwill that this guy very rarely returns, I guess. So I'm <laughs> going to try to sell to him. But not a good business, I guess. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, well, to your point, it, it could end up being good. Well, I mean, and and it really could get you know vendor suppliers in in you know kind of a, a world of trouble, a world of financial trouble, uh, at the very least, cash flow struggles if they're making poor decisions <laughs> with who they're consigning inventory for. So you know, it's it's on both sides of the relationship. There's risk on both sides of the relationship, and and again, uh, getting back to you know kind of how these things ultimately, or at least in my experience, how they come to be it's you know built up over time and and uh it's a significant amount of trust that uh you know that you're putting into each other uh yeah. to formalize this relationship okay amazing Sharon. any comments over comments i just want to echo what dave and chris say you know being in a consignment relationship with your vendor or with your retailer or customer it has to be have it has to be a high level of trust um the second thing is that you have to have a good understanding, transparency, and specific clear workflow. How how both parties agree how this should work um, so that there's no gray area. The third thing I want to mention is that how feasible for your business, the consignment situation. For just like what Chris said, you know, borrowing man when you are in consignment and then your customer borrow your inventory that that does help their cash flow but it that benefit the whole situation right and um and, and also like some of the business may not may not be good at consignment like say if something is perishable or maybe something is you know there's a lot of waste somehow like lost in the transition how whatever that there's a lot of write-offs those are the things that you have to consignment or not okay amazing thank you so much sharon for that so i'm quickly going to read this comment and if you guys have any final comment related to this comment you can include in your closing uh, advice so this is with anders anders green a-n-d-e-r-s-g-r-e-e-n follow him amazing guy receiving extra inventory absolutely happens in the weirdest ways um, okay, last month we ordered a container of 90% item A, 10% item B, it shipped, item B wasn't ready. So they just stuffed the container with an extra $5,000 of item A, that's very interesting, that we never ordered or authorized. It's crazy out there, and systems have to handle it. Chris, closing advice, any comments on this? 
Sure. So, you know, as, as you endeavor into this, if you're already in the business, you probably know what you got into. But I think if you're endeavoring into it, focus on systems, focus on automation, don't and, and identify gaps in processes. And I think to walk it all the way through in a simulation mode where you really understand how you're going to track, receive, report, analyze, cost, that's it. Just do your homework right. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. Dave, closing advice, please. Yeah, I, I think Chris really nailed it. You know, it, it comes down to uh, uh, developing your relationship with with the vendors, with the suppliers and or with the customers, depending on what side of the transaction you fall on and uh, really going through that testing process, regardless of the system that you've developed uh, to ensure that you've got end to end visibility on both sides so that you can, you know, have that transparency uh, from a partner uh, standpoint that that will uh be your best bet forward uh, <laughs> to be successful. Okay, amazing advice. Thank you so much, uh, Dave, for that. Sharon, closing advice, please. Um, well, instead of closing advice, I would like to address one Andrew Green's talking about receiving extra inventory without authorize it. Um, it actually happened quite often, and uh, I I don't know exactly your situation what it end up here. It seems like the vendor didn't really communicate with you. But uh, at least my past experience, like when we close the container, there's if there's any any extra space, we always encourage the vendor to stuff as much as possible, fill the space up. Um, that's our policy. Don't waste the space. That's our policy. So we don't know what what is coming, you know, to the uh, until the door the door is closed. So it, it it comes down to the trust, you know. If your vendor give you good quality of product, you know, if your vendor really look out for your best interest, you know, fill up the space for me so that I can sell as much as I can. And at the same time, they trust us that no matter what they feel, that we will pay for it. So um, that's just something that. This got to go back to the vendor. Why are you doing this? The root cost. And then how are we handle this future? So that's a win-win situation for both parties. Um, without any communication or consent prior to shipping the item, it is not a good practice in my personal. It has to come to the uh, 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 sense that, hey, if I'm doing this, would that be okay with you? You know, ask for for consent. All right, guys. Thank you so much. And if you guys have meeting, feel free to drop. I'm quickly going to wrap. We are one minute over right now. Uh, thank you so much. That's it for today. If you joined for the first time, this was part of our uh, digital transformation series where we meet every Thursday at uh, 5.30 Eastern. So make sure you guys are going to be here next week. We're going to come back with another topic. On that note, thanks everybody for tuning in tonight. See you again. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Chris Garadini, head over to turnkeytech.com. It's C-U-R-N-K-E-Y-T-E-C.com. If you want to learn more about Dave Chrysler, head over to thechrysler.club. It's T-H-E-C-R-Y-S-L-E-R dot C-L-U-B. If you want to learn more about Sharon Custer, head over to inventoryoptimization.pro. It's I-N-V-E-N-T-O-R-Y O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-A-T-I-O-N dot pro. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Billy Haynes, who shares his insights into the B2B e-commerce journey for a construction distribution business. 
also the interview with Lisa Anderson, who shares her insights on why it is important to be directionally correct with sales and operations planning. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.